If you have your Bibles, if you'd turn with me to James chapter 2. We continue here in our series in the book of James. James chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 14 through 26 today. The title of the message today is, The Proof is in the Pudding. How many of you have ever heard that expression before? The proof is in the pudding. Okay, I, I pulled this out. I feel like this is what the Lord wanted me to title this, which might seem like a little bit of a goofy uh, title, but you'll see where this is going here in a moment. This expression, the proof is in the pudding, actually comes from a statement that was made many years ago that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And so that's where that comes from. When we say the proof is in the pudding, you just eat it and you'll understand how good this really is. How many of you are pudding eaters? You like pudding. We, you think of what pudding is today. We've got some uh, different mixes here that you'll see on the screen to cause you all to start to hanker for some, some jello. There are a lot of different items. Those look delicious. And we'll keep moving here before I get distracted, right? But there's all kinds of pudding and flavors and things like that. But did you know that when that statement, the proof is in the pudding, it wasn't in reference to the pudding as you and I would know that. In fact, uh, hundreds of years ago, pudding was referred to as something that's known as blood sausage. That's kind of a different pudding, isn't it? And so the people that... Yeah, I mean, I heard the groans in here already. Oh, right? And so then to help people understand, this is something that you'll want to eat. They'd say the proof is in the pudding, right? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. Just try that. You'll like that, okay? And believe me, there's way worse pictures I could have given you here today for blood sausage. But the proof is in the pudding. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. I want us to think about something here this morning. What if pudding wasn't a sweet and tasty treat or it wasn't blood sausage, but what if pudding, just think of this with me, was actually our heart? The proof of the heart, it's not in the eating, because that'd be weird, and we're not that kind of church. But the proof, I think, of the heart is by what the heart is producing. And you can see that evidence. How do we know if the heart is good? Not by tasting, but by what it's producing. And James is going to try to drive that point home here with this section today. Okay, and so that's what we're going to be reading through. This is God's Word. We believe that God's Word, the Bible, is inspired by God. It's inerrant, it's infallible, and He speaks to humanity through the authoritative scriptures, and he's about to speak to us as we get ready to read. And so before he speaks, let's just settle our hearts with prayer and get ready to receive his word. So would you pray with me right now before we begin? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for guiding and leading our lives. You've led us all to this place today as we sit around your word and you speak into our hearts and our lives. And Lord, I ask for your grace and your blessing upon this time together. Holy Spirit, have your way. Help us to receive and respond to your word. Lord, give me your words to speak your heartbeat here this morning. 
And I pray for a special anointing upon this time together. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start here with verse 14 in James chapter 2. James says, What is it? What, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, Goodbye, and, and have a good day, stay warm, and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless, unless it produces good deeds. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by the good deeds, or by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. And he was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And so that ends the passage here this morning. A lot of folks actually view this particular passage as being in contradiction with some other passages that you might find in the Scriptures. James is saying, faith without works is dead. If it was just faith, it would be dead. It needs works to accompany that. And I want to point out a verse that comes from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. And a lot of you have heard this verse before. It's a very familiar verse. And it says, For it is by grace that you've been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Now repeat the next three words with me. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So we got Paul over here saying it's, it's by grace through faith, and it's not by works. And now we've got James over here saying it's not just by faith alone. There's got to be some works that accompany this. And we look at this and we're thinking, okay, how does this gel? How does this work itself together? Because it almost sounds like they're saying things opposite from what each other's trying to emphasize. James says faith without works is dead. And Paul says it's by grace through faith, not by works. And I want us to understand here that 
Paul and James, while they're saying works and they're talking about works, they're not talking about the same kind of works. And I want to help us understand that. I feel like the Lord gave me this little portion right here, and so I want you to lean in, okay? This isn't something I found in another uh, book or anything like that. I really feel like the Lord gave me this to help us understand. There's a difference between working for salvation and working from salvation. Does that make sense? We're working so that somehow God would let us into His kingdom. That is false. That's a false teaching. There's some people, if you said, if you died today, would God let you into heaven? And they're going, well, I hope so. I hope I've done enough that God would say, okay, you were good enough, I'll, I'll let you in. You did enough works. Okay? That's the working for salvation, and that's a false teaching. But I think both Paul and James would agree that there's a kind of working that comes from our salvation. And that's the point that James is trying to drive home. John MacArthur says it like this, works are not the means of salvation, they are the result of it. So what does it mean to be saved? I think we need to stop there for a second because there's a lot of thinking. If I just do enough good things, then maybe God will let me enter into His kingdom. Some people believe that even when you pass away, other people here on earth have to do some more good things on your behalf so that maybe you will get into heaven. That's not the Scriptures. The Scriptures are very clear. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's not by trying to earn your way into heaven. It's not by something you do. It's by something that Jesus did for you on your behalf. We started the service with this song, There's Power in the Blood. And if you're not somebody that's typically in the church, that can be a song that seems a little bit weird. We're singing about somebody's blood. What a song to start the service off with to confuse people. What are we even singing about here? But understanding there is power in the blood of Jesus because His blood was shed for you on the cross so that you can be redeemed and saved from your life of sin. You can have Jesus into your life right now and you can also have the promise of heaven and being with Him for an eternity. There is power in the blood. Power to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light when you come to faith in Jesus Christ salvation enters into your life. It's because of what He did. And then when that change happens in your life, you begin to serve in His kingdom. And you serve for Him, not for yourself. Once you're saved, it's not about you anymore. It's about what He wants to do. And James is emphasizing this. If you're really saved... Let's be producing some things in the kingdom of God. So as I said, there might seem to be some tension between Ephesians 2 and this James chapter 2, but I, I told you they're talking about two different things, a working for salvation versus working from salvation. And you can see even Paul emphasizes this in the very next verse, in verse 10, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, Created in Christ Jesus or saved to do good works. So if you just go one more verse, 
you see the contradiction is gone. Paul's saying we're saved to then do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a difference between working for salvation and working from salvation. This first section of James 2, verses 14 through 18, he really emphasizes producing good deeds. And if we are really working from a place of salvation, we need to know where good deeds truly come from. And I want to pull up Jesus' words here in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. The Bible says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So let me ask you a question here this morning. Is it possible for each of us to have a good heart? I mean, the Scriptures say that the heart is wicked. But the Scriptures also talk about having a heart transplant. And the prophet Ezekiel talks about this day that was coming, and it's here now, where God will actually take out this heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that is responsive and wants to be obedient to God. And it's, it's soft, and we, we try to hear God's voice versus that stony, stubborn heart that didn't want to even listen to God. It's a heart transplant. Taking out that heart of stone and replacing it with this heart that God gives, a heart transplant, it's a new source. So the old stubborn heart, that source is us. And God replaces it with this new heart, and He is the source of that heart. And I know there's continued tension that all of us will walk through even after we're saved, that battle between our flesh and the Holy Spirit, but a new heart is given to those who are saved. This new heart, I want to just tell you, this new heart produces fruit. Okay, On Friday, on our preview for Sunday email that I sent out, I said, I'm going to be doing an illustration, and you're welcome to join me in this. I don't know if any of you took that to heart and said, I'm going to come. I had asked if you'd come with a piece of fruit. And so is there anybody in the building that brought a piece of fruit in with you? Just simply lift it up. Show it off. All right, we got some fruity people over there. Anybody else? Just lift it up. Keep it up. We got some apples, bananas. Okay. I was hoping maybe somebody would bring a watermelon in or you know, just <laughs> show off a little bit. Okay. Just a fraction of our church brought fruit. I'm not going to scold you over that. I knew that this would probably be something that not a lot of people would participate in. But what's interesting is there's a lot of people in our culture that say that they're Christian. But where's the fruit? Just a fraction of our congregation had fruit. And I think just a fraction of those who claim to be Christian actually have the fruit that comes from truly being saved. Let's listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. He cuts off every branch, not some of the branches that don't produce fruit. Every branch. 
that does not produce fruit, he cuts it off. And he also prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Not just some. You're going to be a fruit producer. For apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. So we see a passage like this. These are words from Jesus. He's saying, you're going to produce fruit if you're connected to me. That's the source of the good produce, is that you have a heart that's been transformed by Jesus Christ and He is present in your life. Is it possible for Jesus to live in someone without seeing any fruit of Jesus? I think He's going to show up. I think there's a supernatural power that comes with Jesus that begins to work in somebody's life and you begin to see fruit. So James takes us to another step here. He actually addresses something very interesting. He says that demons believe in God. He says even the demons believe. And he's actually referencing something that they would call the Shema, that the Jews would call the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And James says, You believe that our God is one. Well, guess what? Even the demons believe that. Then a little bit later, he says, Abraham believed in the Lord and he was counted righteous. So let me ask you a question. If the demons believe that there's one God, are they saved? No! But wait a second, Abraham, he, he believed, and it was counted righteousness to him. I want us to understand that there is a difference between believing in your head and this intellectual understanding that God exists and, and believing in your heart. Believing in your head versus believing in your heart. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then the next part, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it goes on to say, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Don't just know there is a Jesus. Believe in Jesus. There's a difference of just simply acknowledging that in your head versus actually truly embracing that with your heart. The core of who you are. Saying, I want Jesus in my life. There's a difference between having head knowledge versus believing in your heart. Have you ever heard the question, 
that if you were charged for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I mean, if you were in a courtroom and they said, Dave, you're sitting here today because somebody charged you for being a believer in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the evidence of his life. We're going to try to determine whether or not this man truly does believe in Jesus Christ. And so based off the Scriptures, we're going to look for fruit in his life. Is he producing the fruit of someone who truly believes in Jesus? Because what James is trying to say is, if you're the real deal, there's going to be fruit. And so we would look for fruit. And James closes with this charge to prove it. Verses 21 through 26, three separate times, he talks about people being shown to be right with God. There's a demonstration, there's a proof that James is trying to underline. Verse 21, he talks about Abraham was shown to be right with God. Then he talks about how we can be shown to be right with God. And then he says Rahab was shown to be right with God. And all of those are, be, are being shown because of their actions because of the fruit in their life. If you've ever heard of John the Baptist, this was a man who, who pronounced that Jesus was coming and that everybody needed to prepare their hearts for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, repent. And he begins to baptize people. And this baptism was a baptism of repentance. We're going to change. We need to get our hearts ready for the coming of the Lord. Well, in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it talks about how some religious leaders showed up to this baptismal service, if you will, and they were curious. What is going on here? What's this John the Baptist all about? Well, they roll in, and, and John has some interesting words for them. He calls them a brood of vipers. And then he says, Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? He says in verse 8, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you've turned to God. Prove by the way that you live that you have changed from a life of sin that is now in God's direction. When it comes to salvation and we receive Christ into our life, there should be a change. There should be a difference in that person. Not, oh, I shared a prayer with Pastor Russ, and now I know that I'll at least make it into heaven. But, you know, come 3 o'clock that afternoon on Sunday, I'm back to my old ways. No, salvation, there's a change. The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come, because you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's what salvation brings John says that every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The Scriptures talk about producing fruit. Where's the actions that prove that this individual's heart is truly redeemed? I think Titus says it almost stronger than John the Baptist. John was a pretty crazy man. This was a guy that I think some people, if he stood up here at the pulpit, I'd love to hear from him, but I think he might drive a few of us a little bit uh, scared. 
But Titus, I think, says it even a little bit stronger in Titus 1, verses 15 through 16. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. Again, it comes, comes from the heart. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. They don't have that new heart, that good heart that God brings with that heart transplant. It says, because their minds and their consciences are corrupted. He says, such people claim to know God, but then they deny Him by the way that they live. They claim to know God, but then deny Him by the way that they live. And essentially, they're living fruitless lives. He even says they're detestable and disobedient. They're worthless for doing anything good. And that matches with Jesus' words where He says, apart from Me, you can do nothing. If I'm a do-nothing, I'm pretty worthless. I can't do anything good. And we realize how all of this works together and helps us understand that we need salvation in our life. And the proof of that salvation being real is the fruit that flows from that heart. So the proof is in the pudding. You go back to our, our hearts and referencing our hearts. The proof of a heart that's redeemed by God is in what that heart is producing. So how do we respond to a message like this today? I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is at work in each of our hearts, revealing some things in our life that maybe the Holy Spirit would like to work on. And the reality of it is there's a couple different listeners when it comes to this message. There are people who are listening to this message who are not saved. You've not had that heart transplant where God brings in that new heart and salvation comes into your life. And there's people who are listening that you've had that heart transplant. God has redeemed your life. And salvation has been a part of your story. And so understanding, I've got two different kinds of listeners. Those who are saved and those who aren't yet saved. I want to address how you can respond. For those who aren't saved, I just tell you right now, God wants a relationship with you. He created you for a relationship with Him. And sin separates you from that relationship. But because Jesus came to this earth, He died, He shed His blood, and there is power in that blood to redeem you from a life of sin and make you a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if you want that, in a moment I'm going to lead you in a prayer to receive Christ. And it's not just a simple prayer and you walk out of here and you go back to life like usual, like normal. It's that you're saying, I want this change in my life. I want to live for God, not for myself anymore. And if you desire that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer for that heart transplant to take place for you. You receive this by grace through faith. 
And for those who are listening, that you know where you're at in regards to your relationship with God. You're saved. Perhaps you've been saved for years or decades or the last week, but you know that you're saved. How do you respond in a message like this that's got such a strong emphasis on what salvation means? I want to encourage you to consider the picture I gave earlier. There's a difference between working for salvation and from salvation. I want you to begin to process what are ways that I'm involved in working for the kingdom? Are you involved? Redeemed people get involved in kingdom work. You're brought from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, not to just sit in the light and go, man, I remember when I was in the kingdom of darkness. That was not good. But I'm so glad I'm here. Just bathing in the light. Maybe I could help some people make that same transition that I did. You know, I know I asked this question is, how many of you came to know the Lord because there were people that were in your life who were planting seeds in you? Okay? You can think of these people. Okay? There were people who made that transfer over here and they saw enough potential in what God can do in your life that they're investing and planting seeds in you and one day you made that transfer and now it's on us to do the same for the people around us. To minister to people. And so, just a reflective question, who are you planting seeds with? Are we even planting seeds? Farmers, if you went out into the field with an empty planter, how productive is that? Man, we really need rain. For what? There's no seed in the ground. Don't walk around Monday through Saturday with an empty planter. God wants us planting seed each and every day. Don't expect a harvest if there's no seed in the ground. And so for all of us who are saved, let's produce fruit. And you need to lean into the Scriptures. You need to lean into the Holy Spirit because you cannot produce fruit on your own. It's a supernatural thing that God does as you remain in Him and He remains in you, you will produce much fruit. And so lean in and receive from the Lord. I was thinking about this this week. You think of pastors as they minister to their congregation. As I'm preparing and, and, and praying and processing what it is that I feel the Lord wants to say through me, I understand that my connection with the Lord is incredibly important in order to minister to each of you effectively. If I'm not connected with Him, I won't connect with you. And think about that as we go out and we minister to people this week. The Scriptures say that the work of a pastor is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's you. It's my job to equip you to then go out and get busy. Kingdom busy. 
There's a lot of busy, isn't there? How's your week? Busy. Is it kingdom busy? Are we truly investing in people's lives with the seed of the Word of God? Are we producing fruit? And I want to also emphasize that producing fruit is not just serving in the kingdom, but I think all of you can understand that if the Holy Spirit is in my life, we're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit that flows out from our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so, you can even think inwardly with this, what are things that God wants to do in me that needs some work? Is there something that I need to to look at closer when it comes with self-control? Or maybe I need a little more patience. Anybody with me on that one? Or maybe I need a little more kindness. But we allow God to work that fruit within us, and when He does that, it flows out of us. And there's things that, and I'll say that it just happened naturally, but what I really mean is they just happen supernaturally. Because God's flowing through you and ministry is just going to happen because God is at work inside of you. I want to lead us now in a prayer of response to the Word of God today. And so would you just bow your heads with me as we finish in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word and how You speak truth. Now for all of us, Myself included, how are we going to respond to that truth today? Lord, I want to start by addressing that there are people listening right now that as they reflect on their own life, they can't think of a moment where that heart transplant took place, where their stony, stubborn, selfish heart had not been replaced by this new heart that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. Where the old passes away and the new has come and we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. And if that person is you, as you're listening right now and you're thinking, I need that heart transplant. I want that salvation in my life that comes by grace through faith, not by works, This is a grace from God Himself coming into your life. If you desire to receive Him today and receive this gift of salvation, I invite you to pray with me right now in your heart and to mean this. Just say, Jesus, today I want to be made new. I desire this gift of salvation. I come to you as a sinner who needs a Savior. And so, I confess my sin to you and my need for you. Please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. And I pray that you would help me to live for you as a new creation in Jesus Christ.
thank you for this gift of salvation that I receive today. Thank you for being my Lord and my Savior. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, just simply want to ask a question for people who are here in the building today. If you just prayed for that heart transplant to be made a new creation, would you just acknowledge that for me this morning by just simply lifting up your hand and then placing it right back down? Thank you. I see your hands. Anyone else? Thank you. This is a special moment just acknowledging that I prayed to be a new creation. Lord, thank you for these individuals who have leaned in to receive you. I pray that you would bless them in incredible ways as they begin their new journey in faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, for all of us now as we respond to this message today, help us to be people who are producing good fruit. And to do so, we need to remain in you. Lord, help us to be diligent about our time that we spend in your word and hearing from you and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and leaning more on the Spirit than on our own fleshly and selfish desires. Lord, have your way with our lives so that we can be more and more fruitful as you prune us. And we thank you, Lord, for how you've spoken to us today. May these words resonate beyond just August 1st, but in each and every day as we serve in your kingdom. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to worship together in communion, and um, before we begin that process, I just want to say for those that did pray with me this morning to receive that gift of salvation, grab one of those Now What resources that's at our welcome desk right out these center doors. Free Bible that comes with it, and this guide that will walk you through your next steps. One of the very first steps is to tell somebody. Tell somebody that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So I want to encourage you to tell somebody. This is awesome stuff. And so you can share that with folks and let them know. Anybody here at this church, you can walk up to and say, Hey, I was that person that received Jesus, and we're going to celebrate with you. Okay? So please do that. Make sure that you follow up with us. Let us know, hey, I was somebody that prayed to receive Christ.